0: and welcome to Series 5, Episode 11 of the Canny e- Conversations podcast, powered by the Pathway Group. My name's Mark Wakeley, and I'm one of the team who bring you these podcasts each week. In this series, Saf will be talking to some of the business people he's met and worked with in his 23 years at the heart of the West Midlands business community. In this week's episode, we hear the first part of Safraz's conversation with Jan Richardson-Wild, CEO of Occupational Awards Limited. They chat about how Jan has led the organisation through huge challenges. When Jan took on the CEO role, the company was still small with only four employees. Then, just months into her tenure, COVID-19 hit, with the company's focus on food and drink, a sector that was decimated during this period. Jan talks about the difficult decisions and changes needed to pivot the business, implementing technology for remote assessments, diversifying into new industries and adapting their model. She discusses the importance of listening to employers, building strong partnerships and focusing on people. Jan provides valuable insights on resilience, change management and leading with purpose during a crisis. Be prepared for an inspiring conversation on thriving through adversity. So. Let's hear from Jan, and first of all, from Safraz.
1: Jan, can I firstly welcome to Canning Conversations Podcast Series 5. It's an absolute pleasure to have you in Birmingham, sunny Birmingham. Um, I I know we've met before a couple of times in terms of other parts of the country, but it's always a pleasure when somebody like yourself comes to Birmingham. I feel like I'm representing the city and, and welcoming you to our beloved city of Birmingham. Thank you. Thank coming. you
2: for having me, yeah. it's a pleasure.
1: Thank you, much appreciate that. So, Jan Richardson while this is your life. Actually, it's not, but it is a conversation <laughs> that we're having, but it is gonna, it's gonna its going to feel like it's your life because we're gonna go back in time, we're gonna go back in history, we're gonna go back and have a conversation about things that, that you've done, you've achieved. I see you as, obviously, a, a leader that you are within that sector, you know, you're an influencer, you're a thought leader. Uh, you're an inspirational person on, on many fronts. Uh, you're a female CEO. There's not many of those around. There's not many people who've worked themselves up. Uh, you're a role model to many. You're a role model to myself. You're a person who's always been warm, always been helpful. And it's an honor to have you here on a personal basis. And I also want to get the best out in terms of for our audience in terms of Behind the LinkedIn profile, behind what they see in terms of the bios out there, I know you. You know you're frequently out on the scene, and I want to uh, get behind that story in terms of how 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 you've got here, the the ups and downs because it's never as straightforward. And what's made you who you are and the person that you are, Jan. So take it from there in terms of firstly. The role that you're currently doing, you're a Chief Executive Officer, CEO of Occupational Awards, uh, OAL. What does that role involve? And then we'll go back in time. So tell me about the role first and and your good self.
2: Okay, thank you. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Well, It's a long question there. (laughs) It was. Um, The the role itself has changed over the four years I've been doing it. When I first came to OAL, um, it was a very, very small team there was only four of us. So I had to do lots of different things. And I think a CEO has to do lots of different things anyway. But I had to do a lot of operational work. We did have some staff who worked for us part of the time that were part of the National Skills Academy for Food and Drink. But over the first few months, we did a separation out of those two companies. So when I started at OAL, I was doing a lot of the curriculum development and developing a lot of the resources for the standards because we were such a small team. And what the board wanted me to do was get the company on a a stable footing because it had only been going a few years. We had a very small amount of qualifications that we were approved for as an an awarding organisation but we also were approved for 20 Endpoint Assessment standards. But some of that was still in development and we, you know, the assessments were only starting to build up. The company um, had had a loan in order to get set up by the National Skills Academy for Food and Drink. So we had a lot of work to do because apprenticeships in their current form with Endpoint Assessment was fairly new and it was only just developing. And OAL at the time did everything face-to-face. So people got in touch with us, they booked assessments, we went out and did them. We had started off very much with our employer base that was part of the National Skills Academy for Food and Drink. So we mainly worked with employers who were food and drink employers, such as Coca-Cola and Nestle. Haribo, companies like that. And bizarrely because OAL had originally been a furniture organization, a furniture awarding organization, we also had a basis in furniture. So it was quite diverse, diverse, yes. So my role was very multifunctional in terms of needing to get the customer base grown, needing to establish the uh, standards, Needing to grow the business, but also get it on a good financial footing. And three months into the job, we went into COVID 19 mm. lockdown yeah. and everything stopped. Changed.
1: Everything changed to a certain level, yeah.
2: Absolutely. 100% stopped. So that was a massive challenge for us. And my role continued to evolve because we, you know, had to change everything that we were doing. So I then had to get very focused on systems and technology and introduce a system to do everything remotely, to introduce systems to do everything online because we did not have any online systems Mm. and to grow the team and continue to grow the customer base whilst bringing in income for us to survive and that is what i've focused on building the team building the team skills building the standards and the apprenticeships in terms of my role has been about developing that quality of curriculum and offer in terms of our qualifications but also in terms of our standards so over the four years my role's changed from Promoting the 20 standards, we're now approved for 42 standards. Mm. We started off with four staff, and by the end of next month, we'll be nearly 20 staff. Mm. We had 20 independent assessors as associates, and we're now up to over 80. So it's been about that whole growth, solidifying the business, developing the team, growing the customer base, keeping our employers engaged and involved in everything we do in order to keep that very clear strategy of getting ourselves established and known in the marketplace. Absolutely.
1: Jan, when I was looking at uh, uh, some of the work that you're doing and bearing in mind, you've set up a young, sort of ambitious organisation, started from scratch in terms of that particular organisation. Uh, I thought, you know, it's very entrepreneurial uh, and effectively you're running a business and therefore, you know, there's a word which was in the vocabulary called intrapreneur, uh, which is really an entrepreneur, but working within a sort of a setup, a corporate setup. So I think that defines really, uh, if I may say, in terms of the skill sets, because you are, you know, you've had to roll your sleeves up to a certain mm-hmm, level, mm-hmm. game involved with everything, and really set the organization from scratch to a, mm-hmm. to a certain level and, and do everything, even though it sounds like a CEO of an organization. But, you know, you are an entrepreneur, like any other small business entrepreneur where you've got multiple hats on and have had mm-hmm. to do multiple things, If if that's fair for me to say yes yeah yeah fantastic so jan it's a young ambitious organization you know you've made some impact already and and you and i have discussed the fact that oel is getting its name out there it's it's well recognized it's a go-to organization particularly for the sectors that you operate in and if you think about those particular sectors you know you are seen as the the lead organization in terms of uh delving into the journey which we will go we'll go into Prior to this, you were also working for another awarding organization, NOCN Group, mm-hmm. which is the similarities. It's a charity. It's a charitable-based organization. But they're sort of specialists in a slightly different different field. Like, you know, they, if you start thinking about NOCN, you start thinking construction a bit more than maybe you know this particular sector that you're in. But I'm sure there's been learnings from the previous role where you were group, uh, so deputy managing director, you know, you've then moved from that deputy managing director role to a CEO role of, of a set-up organization, whereas NLCN is probably more established a little bit, because it's been going a little bit longer, and especially, so how was that transition? Because you've been in a role, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, nearly four years now, mm-hmm. ne- nearly four years. And But prior to that, your your sort of apprenticeship in terms of the getting into the CEO role was that deputy mm-hmm. MD type role. How 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 was that transition for you?
2: I think the transition was interesting from the point of view of NOCN's quite a big company and very like um, the previous two training providers I worked for, they were big companies as well. Mm. When I worked for InterServe Learning and Employment as Director of Quality and Curriculum, that was a very big company. We had over 7,000 apprentices there and over 10,000 learners on other programs, employability and workforce development programs. And before that, I was at A4E that also had a similar diverse portfolio. And the the one thing I took from those bigger organisations was the need to have a very strong team to make sure that you've developed a team that can do the various roles that you need them to to do in your organisation. Because if you're going to build a small organisation into a bigger organisation, you've got to get the right team around you. You've got to develop that team and trust in that team to support you in growing and developing the business. But also, to ensure you have a diverse range of people involved in the organisation. And the learning you take from the other places that you work is what worked well in those organizations and what can you use in your organization you know how might you structure it so you think about what worked in the structure of those organizations what worked in terms of uh, the different roles they had people doing how well did they engage with their customers the one question I asked when I went to OAL of my team was there's 200 endpoint assessment organisations out there. Why choose us? Yeah. Why would you come to us? Because although we did some standards that nobody else was approved for, not all the standards on our list are we the only endpoint assessment organisation for. Mm. So what makes us special? Why would you come to us? What can we give you? Mm. And one of the things the team ended up coining mm. and our employers coined with us was we're a people's EPAO. So you've got to find what is the what is the nub of your business. It's not just your speciality like NOCN focuses very much on construction. OAL was very much about food and drink, and we were very strongly based and tied into the food and drink industry. So I needed to get to know about those food and drink employers. What was making them choose OAL and use OAL rather than go somewhere else? Why were they investing in that? But the other thing that I noticed that was massively different about OAL, as opposed to a number of other endpoint assessment organisations, was that we are very tied in with the direct relationship with our employers. A lot more of the endpoint assessment organisations, and particularly awarding organisations, their relationship with their employers is one removed because. They are, their first relationship is with their training providers and the colleges. And therefore, they kind of, you know, can't get to their employers because the training providers and the colleges are the gatekeepers of, of that relationship. Where one of the big differences with OAL is that direct employer relationship and because we're able to have one-on-one conversations with people like sharon blyfield from coca-cola and jill coyle from nestle is that we can find out exactly what those employers want out of the apprenticeship program out of endpoint assessment what support do they need what is going on, kind of at the coalface, really, yeah. with that work, and in order to bring that into our USP?
1: Okay, fantastic. So, just to sort of get an understanding of that. So, you know, a lot of, as you said, a lot of organisations are sort of the back end, so the you know back office element of it. Your your front line, your front end. You're dealing with the employers in many cases directly. You're listening to the employers. Uh, the differentiator is the. The customer service, the people element of it, the interaction, and everything all around that personal relationships and the relationship element of it is the one of the main differentiators between yourselves and other entities and other awarding mm. organizations. In terms of the relationship, and I think it's an important thing for us to understand a little bit more with the National Skills Academy for Food and Drink, because it's obviously been incubated from there, it's initiated from there. You're a director, uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, national, you're a director also for the National Skills Academy for Food and Drink. National Skills Academy for Food and Drink obviously leads on all discussions regarding food and drink. So okay. so it listens to what's out there in terms of the community around food and drink. Uh, so that's also a big Differentiator in many elements of it because you're at the chalk face, you're at the coal face, or whatever the the right terminology. You're at the front line in terms of that part of it. And what's the connection now in terms of the link between yourselves and the uh, National Skills Academy for Food and Drink? How does it work? What it, you know? What's at arm's length? What is a little bit more closer? And what's the positives and maybe some challenges? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. Well, it's always a tricky a tricky relationship in terms of the National Skills Academy has to keep itself objective when it's having any dealings to do with endpoint assessment because although we're linked as companies in the same group and they did originally by us, there are other um awarding and endpoint assessment organizations yeah. out there that do some of the same That's qualifications right. and standards as as we do. So they've got to make sure there's some objectivity in that uh, relationship, and ensure that they do still ask when they're reviewing a standard or they're having a forum of employers, and they want endpoint assessment organisations to be present. Then they do still need to ask our competitors in that area, such as City and Guilds and FDQ. So there's that. That is a challenge for them, you know, maintaining that objectivity as well as being based very much in the employer world and listening to what the employers want and say. However, there's also a huge advantage in terms of, like I've said, that us having access to the, the, you know, direct access to those employers. And we can learn a lot more firsthand from what's going on with those employers and what the future landscape looks like and how they're wanting to influence policy because those employers in the food and drink industry, some of those are big FTSE 200 FTSE 100 companies and therefore they have the ear of government don't yeah. they and the national skills academy's role is to try and influence government influence policy so that enables us to be part of those conversations and parts of those discussions so that's a huge advantage to us as well Because being on the board involved in those discussions and being able to link with the Food and Drink Federation and other organisations such as that kind of helps in terms of where we might want to diversify, where we might want to focus our energies as well when it comes to OAL.
1: So i do really want to get into your history and so forth but i've got a few more questions because it's just so interesting at the moment and then we'll come back into the the journey and the and how how you've got here as the ceo so you touched on the fact that you started and a few months in uh you know we got hit with covid and, and the world changed and you know you had to adapt and so forth and you're you know you've come in as the ceo of a relatively small organization there's four uh correct me if I'm wrong you said there's four people at the at the time you could solve, and the sector that you operate in is a sector that's probably been hit the hardest in mm-hmm. in terms of food and drink, particularly in terms of the restaurants, the closing uh all these establishments that are out there, the hospitality mm-hmm. we've never seen it before. it's a shock you know you're in a different you're in a role uh you're a small incubated organization you've given up. A big title of a job, managing director of a fairly large charity, fairly stable. Uh, yes, they've got challenges, but a bit more robust and maybe resilient as an organisation. And uh, you made the decision to, uh, and you've been selected as the CEO of uh, of a small, relatively small startup organisation which operates in the food and drink. And we've got COVID, mm-hmm. massive, massive thing. What's going through your mind in in, in that in that period, and what, what was going through your mind on a personal level, and also in terms of your organization, and what does the future look like, and what was going through? If you and I were having uh, a conversation at the time, what we would be saying, what would you be saying to me, Jen? <laughs>
2: I'd be saying to you, "Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh my God! What's oh happened?" Yeah. Well, on top of it all, you know, kind of like you know, one of the reasons I made the move was because I'd been through a bit of a bad personal time in okay. terms of my husband had had a, a heart attack okay. and had had to have a double bypass. Okay. Wow! And I was travelling away all wow. the time. You know, all the companies I'd worked for, pre, They're all
1: international were they?
2: Oh well, I was doing international work, or I was travelling all around the country all the time, and I was away three or four nights a week and then that happened and i already knew i kind of it wasn't to, I sustainable i need to i, I, need, I to need, be to, based, need to stop yeah, yeah. you know i need to stop and take a breather and then I got offered this this role while I, I was kind of looking after my husband so and it, he it was recovering. Sense. It made sense. It made sense. And it was interim. And it was interim at the time, oh, actually. Yeah. yeah, It was interim because at that point, the group CEO of OAL and the National Skills Academy was trying to broker a merger with another company, ah. which I won't talk about because... Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. However... So they kind of, I got this phone call, would I be interested in this this interim role? And I, I thought, oh yeah, great, it's based in York. Uh, I'll be able to go home every night. They don't want me in the office all the time. I can work from home a number of days a week. Fantastic. It
1: ticks a lot of boxes. It
2: ticks all sorts of boxes. Brilliant. You know, just at the point as we were going to go into lockdown, they'd said to us, we're not doing the merger anymore. The other CEO was going to go off and run the other company, which she went off and did, which was great. And we're really good friends still. And can you take it on full time? And literally, two weeks later, we went into a lockdown. And I'll be dead honest with you, Sap. I I sat in my office at home and I put my head on the desk and I thought, what am I going to do
1: now? I can imagine that.
2: And I spent April thinking, what are the actions we need to take to get out of this? How do we need to change the company? And one of my team rang me up one day because we were doing conference calls um, every day. And we were agreeing on different projects each of them would work on to try and bring a difference because we had no income at that point. We had no income at all Um, because it all ground to a halt, like you said. Yeah. And they said to me, um, I found this tool called Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) and um, I think if we get involved ourselves with zoom and we set up some zoom meetings we'll be able to look at how we could adapt assessments and be able to do them remotely using zoom
1: yeah
2: Um, so we all spent days and days looking at this and working out how we could adapt the assessments and then I got in touch with the institute for apprenticeships yeah. And I got in touch with the ESFA and the contacts I had there, and I started yeah. to talk to them about adapting assessments so that where there was an observation, because in the food and drink industry, I don't know if you remember this, but they started feeding the nation. Yeah. Do you remember yeah, the yeah, empty yeah. shelves? Yeah. So
1: they absolutely. started feeding
2: the nation and therefore they started moving their apprentices around. To all sorts of different jobs. So, trying to get into the food industry to do anything was an absolute impossibility. So, we needed to adapt the assessments so that observations could be done through some other way of assessment method. So, we started working on these adaptations. I got the employers on groups on Zoom. So, we all kind of engaged with Zoom, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and started those discussions, started the discussions with the departments, and we got those adaptations in place and built a different assessment model with those adaptations using Zoom. We trained our assessors to use Zoom to do the adaptations differently. We changed all the paperwork. We changed all our approaches. We just did constant mm. one standard after another in order to keep those apprentices on programme and to be able to deliver their endpoint assessment. And at the same time, because the food and drink industry had kind of started to call a halt as this went on for months and months to a lot of endpoint assessment and put those learners on a break in learning we started to look at how can we diversify oal so what other standards do we need to develop get approval for who do we need to contact in terms of who might be the customers for those standards What organisations do we need to work with to get those standards approved and for us to start delivering a different set of standards as well? And therefore, Mm. we began the growth from the 20 standards through to the 42 42 now, because if we'd have focused just on food and drink, we wouldn't be here any longer.
1: Yeah, I, I get that. So you had a lot of eggs in that one basket. Food and drink. Food and drink's been sort of knocked for the sex completely in terms of that, you know, workplace changes, challenges. Being a micro company at the time with all the other challenges as well, you've got to diversify income streams. You've got to look at how you're going to sustain the organization and what the future looks like. And part of that is diversification of the remit of what you're, you're mm-hmm. about. So it's got to move a little bit away from food and drink into something, uh, something else. So I get that. You know that that makes sense. But the implementation of it isn't as easy as having the idea. The idea is so easy. The execution is hard. The hard bit, yeah. and it takes a lot longer in in every single case with any project with any any sort of ambition it takes a lot longer sometimes. And with all the obstacles that you don't sometimes perceive to get it right. So how has that journey been been in terms of? The growth to the 42 the challenges the direction who have you listened to who have you engaged with who have you sort of you know and what what's been the education and what's been the learnings and i'm really really you know once after this i've got to try and get into that story the history yeah. the journey
2: well first of all a lot of the diversification has still been linked to the employers yeah. so we talked to those employers yes about what other standards were they interested in for their wider workforce, not just their production workforce and not just for their engineering and manufacturing workforce, but what about their quality standards departments? So we diversified into quality practitioner. Mm. They're they're very based, um, a lot of those companies, on improvement. So we were already approved for improvement technician and improvement practitioner, but we've moved through to improvement specialist and things like that. But 100% you've got to look at how your, your own company works. So we had bought into a system called Creatio, it had been adapted so that it worked for OAL for qualifications, it was very much in its infancy in development for endpoint assessment but the team worked with me on developing that online system so that we could track registrations for endpoint assessment, develop the pipeline, um, develop the standards and that everything could be done electronically so that our customers could do everything remotely on the system themselves to register their apprentices to track their apprentices through to endpoint assessment to book appointments for us to link electronically with our independent assessors so there was a massive project on technology as well as the fact that our examinations were done paper based so we we moved into looking at online systems and online testing and introducing an online testing program for that we looked at how could we engage with our customers and employers differently in terms of account management. We looked at what investment we needed to make in terms of promotion, not really on getting our name out there in the beginning. But if we were going to get approved and apply for approval to the ESFA for new standards, Mm. which was a very long, laborious process, if I'm being honest, it took like months and months to get approved for one new standard each time. We then had to make sure we'd got a market for that standard, but also that people knew we were doing that standard. Although there was the Endpoint Assessment Register, just popping your name on that and saying, we now do leadership and management level five does not get you more business. So we recruited um, somebody to focus on social media, marketing, communications. We rebuilt the website. We looked at how could we engage more with social media. We looked at how you can work with other organizations such as the Federation of Awarding Bodies, AELP, even yourselves here at the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance, you know, who else are the major stakeholders like the Association of Apprenticeships in the marketplace that in which we operate and how do we make sure we engage with all of those, find out what they think, find out what other people need in order for us to take that back And build that into our strategic development. And also, I want to mention my board of directors. My board of directors have had enormous. Faith in everything that I have been doing, you know, they had had not the best experience as they tried to buy OAL and get it established, and therefore they were very cautious in the beginning yeah. in terms of there they were with a new CEO, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, um, we we'd got COVID lockdown yeah. in yeah. my first year, and they. Put a lot of faith in um, some of the things I proposed and suggested when I started to say, I think we should try this. We're going to try and look at a more blended approach to endpoint assessment. We need to move everything from being face to face. We need to offer remote assessment. As we moved out of lockdown, we needed to offer a more flexible, adaptable assessment. Um, opportunities for apprentices and for providers and what did that really mean and as we've grown and developed being a not-for-profit organization mm. that has allowed me to invest more in that technology mm. invest more in providing back into the business what the customers the employers and the apprentices need so we invest in the growth in staff invest in providing more support, delivering webinars, getting involved in social media and social engagement so that everybody knew what we were doing, how we were doing it, and how that could support the work they were doing.
1: There, there's no doubt that, oh, well, as an organization is very much partnership focused, collaboration is at the heart of it. You're very much outward looking as an organization and you look at the community of the sectors that you operate in, there's no doubt about that. And as you said, you're, you're absolutely engaged you commit and you actually deliver on the whole partnership ethos and, you know, that's down to yourself and and your team and the support that, you know, you've you've encouraged and what you've nurtured and cultivated.
0: Next week, you'll be able to hear the second half of Safraz's conversation with Jan Richardson-Wild, the CEO of Occupational Awards Limited. Jan will share with us the challenges she's faced early on as a young single mother yet preserved to gain qualifications and progress through roles from trainer to senior leader. If you don't want to miss that, remember to subscribe or follow us. If you're new to the podcast, let me tell you there are already 68 other Canny Conversations podcast episodes out there. And you can listen to all those past episodes by searching for Canny Conversations on your preferred podcast platform or go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen. We'd also love it if you could review, subscribe or follow the podcast and please tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you'd like to know more, go to cannyconversations.co.uk or go to Safraz's website, which is safraz.co.uk. Safraz has also written a series of easy to follow business books, Canny Bites. These are available from cannybytes.co.uk forward slash buy the book. As I said, we'll be back next week with the second part of Safraz's conversation with Jan Richardson, Chief Executive Officer of Occupational Awards Limited. So until then, we hope you have a good week.
2: This is a 1386 audio production.